2: Hey and welcome to another episode of Plus Plus Podcast. I'm Jason Kebler.
3: And I'm Ankita Rao.
2: Ankita, I hear you have some facts for me. Is it I've too early to facts. discuss the facts? No,
3: I I'm okay. I'm ready. Okay. Did you know that the garment industry is worth $1.5 trillion a year? I didn't know that. Did you know that it's the second dirtiest industry in the world?
2: I did know that because you did another podcast about it and you said it (laughs) on there.
3: I did. And what do you think is the dirtiest industry in the world? Fossil fuels? Oil, yeah.
2: Yeah. Did
3: you know the garment industry employs 75 million people?
2: No, that sounds about right.
3: And three-fourths of them are female.
2: Didn't know that.
3: And I say female, not women, because a lot of them are children. <laughs> and guess the average salary per month of a factory worker.
2: Per month? Mm.
3: Whoa, okay. Am I right? No, that's really, really low. (laughs) It's $200 a month.
2: Oh, not bad.
3: (laughs) (laughs) What? You spent that like last night. I didn't. This, as you might have guessed, is a story about the garment industry, and it's something that has been fascinating to me because it's so broken. It is one of the most broken business models we have. We have not figured out how to pay factory workers a fair wage. We have not figured out how to make clothes that are economically or environmentally sustainable. And it's almost like the secret blood diamond industry. And we all partake in it all the time. So
2: I feel like clothes are something that people get rid of all the time and they never think like, hey, this is a bad thing. I'm just this shirt's too big. I'm going to donate it or I don't wear it anymore. I'm going to get rid of it. And I don't think people realize that it's very wasteful.
3: Yeah, I mean, we were talking about the right way to dispose of your cell phone a couple of weeks ago or batteries or your laptop, but what do you even do with your clothes?
2: You take them to Goodwill and hope someone else wears them, I guess. I'm not yeah. really sure. So you went to India for this story, right?
3: Mm-hmm. I went to India, spent some time in the garment industry and talking to garment workers and factory owners and just trying to figure out, first of all, why this industry is broken and second of all... Can technology help us fix it?
2: Or can technology replace a lot of the workers, right?
3: Yep, it could go either way. So we are going on a journey to find out. I have a weird relationship with clothes. I like them, I like to buy them, but I feel an overwhelming sense of guilt when I think of the tired fingers that had to stitch buttons onto hundreds of thousands of garments for 30 cents an hour, or the bundles of waste materials, or the pollution from the huge factories in countries like India, Bangladesh, and Cambodia. My only response has been to stop shopping. There's been a lot of talk about fixing the garment industry in recent years. Some of it started after some factories caught fire in Bangladesh back in 2013. 1,129 people died. Another 2,000 were injured. These were the people making clothes for Mango and Benetton and all these stores that we buy from every day. Labor groups have tried to advocate for better factory practices. Higher wages, cleaner, cooler rooms, but the fact remains that if we want cheap clothes, we use cheap labor. And that kind of model leaves little room for improvement. So I wondered, if we're seemingly incapable of fixing this corrupt, cruel, and polluted industry, is it time to make a drastic change? Is it time to introduce robots? And would automating the industry just put already poor people out of their jobs forever? Or would it liberate them from some kind of indentured slavery? I started the story at the source, at a garment factory in India. This one was in Hyderabad, on the side of a highway outside the bustle of the city. It was about four stories tall, had 800 workers, and it makes clothes for domestic and international clients. The factory's merchandiser, Sheikh Abdul, took me through the whole process of how a shirt or some pants or capris were made, from when they get the raw material to when they get shipped to the store. It started here in the sampling section where tailors make patterns almost like stencils for clothes.
4: This is called sampling section. So basically we will receive tech packs from buyers. What their requirement? They'll use send us these tech packs. As per that we have to make pattern first pattern. On brown sheet we will make the pattern.
3: Then the pieces are cut by hand.
4: Then we have to go for cutting. Yeah. Total uh, 4,500. Oh my god. 4,000 to 5,000 pieces per day. Okay. The garments are numbered and bundled.
3: And all of these things have to be done by hand?
4: they only manual only. Everything is manual here. Okay.
3: And then some of them have to be fused together with heat, like to attach a belt or an embellishment. This was actually the only part I saw that was done completely by a machine. It's a fusing machine. We can put in collars. It presses it together. It's a belt, waistband belt. We went to the stitching area. There were 320 people in the room with sewing machines. Some of them were stitching by hand. The room was fairly spacious, but with no air conditioning, I could imagine it being super hot in the summer. The 20
4: members, will stitch different different parts, because in, in this garment, the different parts will be cut, No, one one, uh, one uh, stitch, one operation. Uh, finally, they will uh, complete 20 operations.
3: Then one garment
4: will come one to our outside.:
3: out. After a shirt is stitched, it goes into the finishing area. That's where the buttons or zippers are attached. If you work at the factory long enough, you get to become a supervisor and oversee the process. That's probably one of the least labor-intensive positions here. Each line, we will be having supervisor. Okay. Four line we'll be having in charge, okay. quality people
4: who controls the quality.
3: And how do you become a supervisor? It's like more the longer... Based on the
4: experience. Work.
3: The supervisors make sure everything is perfect. No dangling strings or missing buttons.
4: They will check each and every part because there should not come damage, defects, any skip stitch. They will check every every line, the two-line control are there.
3: So you have to check every piece?
4: No, 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 here do only okay. randomly. Okay, it's going to
3: take 100
4: years. 100 percent, the different lines, the checking will be there. Okay. Here only you do what, what the actual buyer requirement yeah. is there. They should follow or not. Yeah. If they are not followed, they will send back to the line. Again, they will rectify and they will send here. If if number of times they will same, they they will send back again, again, again. They will. Uh, there is no excuse for a uh, quality.
3: The button process was kind of mesmerizing. I watched a woman just feed buttons into this little slot in a machine, and then the machine stamped it onto the shirt. In one day, how many buttons are they doing? Uh, 300 to 350. After the clothes are put together, they get cleaned in massive washing machines. So these are all the machines? Machine, machine. Then they get put into this thing called a skeusing machine, which rapidly shakes it out to get rid of loose threads.
4: After final checking, They will send here, what are the loose threads that take out.
3: Finally, the clothes are packed and steamed. So this is to steam it?
4: Yeah, steam. If if you put heat, that steam will go to in pressing, for washing, for drying.
3: Making a garment requires so many different tasks and skills. And there are different fits and styles and sizes of clothing. You can't really just pump them out like car parts. Sheikh told me that he doesn't think any of the people in this building could be replaced by machines.
4: That is beadwork, that design on beadwork you do that has to do in manual.
3: And since they make more than 100,000 garments every month, something must be working. Back in the US, I called up a robotics expert to help me answer some of these questions. David Bourne is a scientist and professor at the Robotics Institute at Carnegie Mellon and he's been looking closely at automation projects in the garment industry. First, he walked me through the garment process and told me what parts are hard for robots to figure out.
0: There's a lot of manipulation involved. So once you start talking about handling material, since it's soft, it droops, you know, it's not like a piece of steel that you can just hold it and keep it shape. But material is harder to handle. Rhinestones and somehow attaching that to a fancy dress might be difficult
3: especially with natural materials like leather.
0: That's a kind of textile. So we were basically taking cow hides and cutting the patterns out, just like clothing, out of the cow hides and then building fancy leather seats in a BMW or something like that. So believe it or not, the big problem with cows is they have bee stings, barbed wire cuts. So there's all kinds of imperfections in the cow hide that have to be avoided during the cutting process. So that's the kind of thing you have with textiles, where the basic materials have to be inspected before you can do it. But now that I say it, actually the technology and the inspection is one of the areas that's been more advanced in the last few years uh, compared to where it was even 10 years ago.
3: He also said that it's harder for robots to make clothes for women, especially jeans.
0: So women are more fussy about the fit of their clothes.
3: But engineers have still made big strides. I found companies like Software, based in Atlanta, that are already selling robots to garment makers. And big clothing businesses like Levi's have already automated part of their work.
0: Levi's had a little setup where they could automate the production of blue jeans. I've actually participated in automating golf gloves.
3: Even so, David said there's little chance that a robot will be able to make our clothes from beginning to end anytime soon.
0: The full-blown from... Design all the way through the final production of the full garment, boxed up and sent to a customer. That's a, that's a ways off. There are certainly steps along the way that can be made, and what industry's done so far is they've selected some of the products that are easier: blue jeans and golf gloves, and where the materials are a little stiffer, they're a little more predictable when you handle them. Then these are good places to start.
3: With a little more understanding of the mechanics, I asked David my burning question. Could automation actually be good for the workers of the garment industry? Was it possible that robots would make things better? Luckily, David had been working on the economics of this too. And his vision for fixing the garment industry is far more inventive than what I was thinking.
0: People are really good with their fingers to do that sort of thing. Robots, not so good.
3: One of the baselines of the garment industry is just how cheap that labor is. Right. What I'm looking at in this piece is the sort of ethical question of, on the one hand, there's always the argument that robots put people out of jobs, and on the other hand, there's this argument that this industry has never figured out a way to pay people a fair wage. And <laughs> um, so I'm, I'm kind of like really fascinated by where those two intersect and I know you're not focused necessarily on the economics of this, but...
0: Actually, I yeah, am bringing the manufacturing as close to the end user as possible. That's the name of the game.
3: He said this is important right now in the U.S., especially as the country looks to reinvent the economy.
0: In the 1800s, the U.S. was one of the centers in the world for making textiles and clothing products. But it's all been sent overseas. You know, Bangladesh, for example, is one of the centers. And oftentimes, as you know very well, the work environment there is horrible. You know, we've had cases where there's a six-floor factory of people working on these things, and then the whole thing collapses. There was a case like that in Bangladesh with 300 people getting killed. So it's beyond just not great work conditions. It's just unsafe. So it would be great if we could figure out how to do this safely and actually do it differently. So one of the big advantages with robotics and the technology I'm talking about is that you can start to think about making things more custom. And what I'm interested in doing, and like the Levi example, you really don't want to make things until somebody's bought it. So I'm interested in changing the economic model so you don't make 10,000 units, 10,000 shirts. You basically have designs, maybe you have some samples. And then somebody says, I really like that shirt. I'd I'd like to buy one. And then basically in a facility right there, in basically a small manufacturing shop that's attached to the store, it's made. So you basically are making things as people buy them. This means that you don't have uh, warehouses filled with stuff. You don't have trucks driving huge special delivery to Nordstrom of uh, Ivanka Trump's uh, designs, rather you make whatever she has right then and there, according to when people buy them. This is the exciting thing, because all that stuff I just talked about, and there's many steps I, I left out a lot, all that stuff costs money. So if the money can be redirected towards basically having things made, then you can make things cheaper which means you can do it wherever you need to. And you can probably pay people to do some of the work the robots can't do. And this is the heart of the matter. Some of the steps are not really good problems for robotics. Maybe ever, (laughs) maybe ever. Not because we can't make them. I'm sure in 20 years or whatever, I can make a robot for $100,000 in today's dollars that can do some of these things.
3: He thinks there's no reason for automation to completely wipe out a workforce. Instead, it could replace the painful parts of the garment industry and let humans do the parts they're good at, the parts robots will never be able to do.
0: If robots and people can work together, making small volumes of things that people actually buy, you've got the right formula.
3: There could be an answer here somewhere. It wouldn't necessarily mean putting millions of people out of work. It could actually help balance out the industry.
0: The volume of money involved in making clothing is huge. It turns out that it's bigger than a lot of cars and all these kinds of stuff, it's it's huge.
3: But the only way to fix an industry that has treated people poorly for possibly hundreds of years is to put them first, no matter how advanced the robots get.
0: The last thing in the world we want is to build this big, giant factory where there's no people inside of it that's making something. There's figuring out how people and robots can work together in kind of a unit.
2: I'm sorry that my guess was $5 a month. In retrospect, that was <laughs> quite low.
3: I mean... That's really low and so is $200, to be honest.
2: (laughs) It is low, yeah. I thought it was one of those things where it was going to be really low, so I went, like, price is right rules.
3: Do you think that the way you shop or think about clothes is any different from the last 20 minutes?
2: I think that I purposely try not to buy that many clothes, but I end up with lots of clothes anyway. Like, my mom still buys me clothes on my birthday, and I never push back against it even if I don't like them. So I think I might be a little more pushy like I don't need anything I have enough clothes
3: yeah and I think a lot of it is systemic you know some of the conscious consumerism is not nearly as helpful as just getting involved with policy and how our clothes are made and in the industry
2: yeah it's so. like anything else where like you turn off the light bulbs that's does nothing compared to larger systemic changes and policy changes so I think yeah if you care about this stuff just get involved and push for legislation and
3: and if you have any ideas we'd love to hear from you so contact us at motherboard on facebook or motherboard on twitter or you can email me it's ankita.rau at vice.com
2: we'll be back with another episode next week this week's episode was produced by ankita in india and Brooklyn, new york usa (laughs) world
3: and it was edited by Tim Barnes.
2: I'm Jason Kebler. We have music from Paul Chin and Al by Che Saita. Next week is another episode from me. We're going to be talking about how a bill becomes a law with specific regard to the right to repair push that's happening in eight states right now. See you guys next week. Bye.